In Your Corner is happening once again. To reach out, contact Simple, 1-855-821-5900. Help at inyourcorner.ca. Lots to talk about uh, today on the show, fellas, and more contributions from our pal Terry Corcoran, who has been in the insurance, or at least was in the uh, insurance industry for about a 1,000 years. So this guy knows everything there is to know about that business. So we'll get to some very cool facts from Terry. As he forwarded us uh, those a short time ago, James, Savannah, welcome, guys. You both have uh, something to contribute right off the hot for a week that was. Who's going first? Duke it out. Oh, looks like right. Savannah won. Let me, let, let me take a shot at this one, John. Yeah, uh, so this is interesting. This is a gentleman that called us, uh, actually emailed us, and uh, he's suffering from a psychiatric uh, issue, a, a mental health issue. Uh, it's being um, treated by a psychiatrist. The insurance company, the long-term disability insurance company that's been paying him benefits have has told them that they're going to cut him off and when we asked him why, he said, because of the influence of my employer. In other words, there's been discussions between the employer and the insurance company. Just unbelievable, right? Like, why would the employer here be interested in this? Well, if the employer is the one who's paying premiums, they would love nothing more than to not have yeah, these premiums go up and, of course, not have them uh, affected by, you know, this whole disability stuff. And... Unfortunately, this is more common than I think people think, and people are often suspicious of their employers. And we've talked about this before on the show, how people who are disabled on disability also get pushback from their employers. Either they get pushbacks uh, being told you have to be 100% to go back to work, which is not true, okay? Uh, or they, 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 are, they are given deadlines or said, you know, if you're not back at work in a month, we're going to fire you. They can't do that. Or they fire you altogether. And then you think that you have absolutely no recourse, which is not the case. Right. So again, you know, you're in a situation where your insurance company has cut you off, but you're also dealing with your employer on the other side. This is exactly when you should be contacting us. Because again, we do not only disability law at the firm, we do employment law. And oftentimes, our employment lawyers and disability lawyers are working hand-in-hand to make sure that we maximize the compensation that the individuals are entitled to by law from the employers and the insurance companies. 1-855-821-5900 is that number. Uh, Help at inyourcorner.ca, the email address. James, what do you got, pal? I have a, a lady, a client of mine, who we have a mediation coming up on a file. She has significant psychological impairment as well as physical impairments, and she hasn't been able to return to work for quite some time. She applied for LTD and was denied. So far, no shocker there. (laughs) What separates this case out is that she was told in a phone call by her adjuster that she would not qualify for her LTD benefits unless she was able to show that she had a severe disability. Those were the words the adjuster used severe disability. That is not the test. The test is total disability, which is defined in the policy. And total disability, as we know, in the first two years means that you are not able to do the occupation that you were doing at the time you became uh, the time you became disabled. That is what the test means. There is no requirement that you be severely impaired in order to receive long-term disability benefits. And yet, This is what she was told by her adjuster. Still not shocking because this happens. Adjusters will say things and even make decisions based on criteria that is not valid and not supported at law. Mm -hmm. 
What separates this case, what makes it quite shocking, is that the adjuster not only made a notation of having told my client this in the claims file, but then sent her a denial letter that again said, your disability is not severe and therefore you do not qualify for long-term disability benefits. Twice they've actually put this in writing. And that's going to come back and that's going to haunt them in a big way because that really exposes them to extra contractual damages, punitive damages. And what we mean by that is the insurance company is going to be responsible not just for paying the benefits that my client is owed under the policy, but they're going to have to pay something more as a punishment for having acted in the way that they did, for having um, used criteria that not only was invalid, but they obviously knew was invalid. The you know these adjusters deal with this these policies on a day to day basis, and it really strains any kind of belief that they would be walking around and not understand the very basic definition of what disability means under the policy. There's no chance that they have an adjuster that is out there that doesn't under, understand that you don't need a severe disability. And frankly, even if they do, so what? If they have somebody that is so dim or so unqualified that they don't understand what the definition is, then they still should be punished for that. So whether it's because they're doing it on purpose or whether it's someone who is just unqualified doesn't matter. They've exposed themselves by doing it. So two lessons to get out of this. Number one, just because your adjuster says something, don't, don't assume that it's true. Um, If it doesn't seem right to you, it may well not be. And number two, when your adjuster says something that you don't like, that doesn't seem correct to you, make sure it is in writing. In fact, whenever possible, whenever you have any discussion with your adjuster, make sure it's in writing. 1-855-821-5900 one 821 5900 is the number to reach out to. Uh, James Savannah, a member of that very capable team. It is help at inyourcorner.ca. We'll get back to Savannah and then move on to our three facts you may know about your long-term disability claim. That is all in the way, courtesy of our pal Terry Corcoran. Lots more In Your Corner just ahead, just getting warmed up here on Global News Radio. one 821 5900 is the number. Savannah, right back to you. Uh, more of the week that was before we uh, move on. What do you got? All right, so we got a question actually that was sent to us um, to uh, our YouTube channel. Uh, and and this question uh, comes from a person that is also dealing with an LTD insurance company. And here's what he wrote. He says, I was denied LTD. My employer told me that they could no longer offer me modified work. I was told to go on short-term disability and then go on EI sick benefits. And then I'll be transitioned into LTD. Very convoluted. I was devastated. I applied for Ontario Works and had to live off of $400 a month. Then I applied for ODSP, which I stayed on for three months. Then my CPP disability kicked in. I had to repay Ontario Works from March to July 2019. My employer now called me and wants a meeting with me. I am really scared. I guess so. And, and, you know, let's start here from, from, you know, the proposition that this person is disabled. I mean, they qualified for CPP disability, qualified for, you know, other types of programs. And off the bat, this person is rejected by their LTD insurer and are left to fend for themselves. And, of course, the employer now is pushing from the other side and want this meeting, whatever this meeting is going to be. So this person did the right thing by contacting us because, again, we can help both with the employment side and the LTD side. But you see how this email is geared towards sort of the employment aspect of the case. Yeah. The LTD really was just the initial um, uh, thing that, that that he had mentioned. It, w- it was like, you know, just a fact that is just hanging there. 
it can't just hang there. If you are disabled and your long-term disability insurer denies your claim and your doctors are saying that you are disabled from working, we can fight the insurance company. Don't take it as a given that the insurance company can simply walk away and not pay you what you are owed. And this is what we keep emphasizing show after show after show. And you know, we have we have clients that have been our clients, you know, yesterday, a week before, they've referred other people uh, last year. I, we have individuals out there, if you go on our website and you look at Google Plus rev- or Google Reviews, you'll see people, testimonials, people who are real people who have been struggling with these issues, who've contacted us, and we've been able to help them. Right. So don't walk away from money that is owed to you. Don't walk away from money that you know, you've paid good premiums for, your employer paid on your behalf, whatever. You are owed this money. Don't let the insurance company simply do whatever they want. And if you know someone, if it's not you, you know someone in that situation, make sure to have them contact us or you contact us on, on their behalf. We can help. I think it's actually worth talking about the employment aspect of this in a little bit more detail. Because I think there are a lot of people that are in the situation of the person that wrote you this email that are getting pressure from their employer and because of that will return to work even though their doctors are saying that they ought not to. And that's a big mistake, especially in a situation like this person who wrote us. This is someone who's been approved for CPP disability. That is a tougher test than the one you have to pass in order to get long-term disability benefits. If you are on CPP disability, the government is saying you have a severe and prolonged impairment. Severe and prolonged, that is a test. If you qualify for CPP disability, you really ought to be qualifying for long-term disability as well. Now, bringing this back to the employment perspective, even if this person hadn't uh, qualified for CPP disability, they would still be in a good position with their employer as long as their doctors are supporting them being off work. In that situation, whether they're on CPP disability or not, as long as they have the support of their doctor, I will invariably write to my client's employer and I will say, even though my client has been denied by the long-term disability insurer, their doctor is saying they cannot work. They're medically not fit. They value their job. They would like to return when it's possible, but until they get the approval from their doctor, they can't. In the meantime, we're bringing a legal claim to challenge the insurer's decision. I trust that this is satisfactory. And in virtually every case, the employer backs off and says, okay, all right, take care of that. Come Mm -hmm. talk to us when you're done. In a case where not only do you have the support of your doctors, but the government, CPP disability, is saying that you have a severe and prolonged disability, then your employer is really, they really don't have any choice but to acknowledge it. And if they don't, we know that they're exposing themselves to a human rights claim if they were to try and force you back to work in those circumstances. And that would just add to the compensation that you'd be entitled to. And I think they also mentioned something in there about they no longer want the duty to accommodate the employee, right? Exactly. They can't be doing that. No, they can be doing that. Nope. But, you know, I'm, I'm actually questioning whether or not this employee can even work on right. modified duties. Yeah. I think this person is just trying to survive. And how many people out there are in that position where they're going to work, the way James said, because they simply have no money. They have to They have to do something. So they're doing it d- despite what their doctors are saying. They're so, you know, they're doing this despite desperation, knowing. Desperation, right? Desperation. And they know that yeah. they're killing themselves doing it. You don't need to kill yourself. But, but you need to take action, legal action, and that's where we come in. And that's exactly what we do day in and day out with success. 
1-855-821-5900 is the number, by the way, to reach out anytime when the show is on or not on anyway. Help it in your corner.ca. You want to send over an email, we'll get to some emails as the show rolls on here for another day. A reminder as well, in your corner on Global TV. That show happens at 8.30 on Sunday morning, so catch us on TV as well. Returning in uh, just a minute here, we'll take a short break. This is In Your Corner on Global News Radio. 1-855-821-5900 is the number to reach out. Help at inyourcorner.ca. We, uh, we did this a week or two ago, guys, and it was really cool. An inside look at the insurance company as it pertains to LTD and what you guys do on the lawyer side. Terry Corcoran, who was uh, in the insurance company for a few decades, has uh, learned a lot and been on the show in person and uh, has educated us and the listeners so many times about how things work on the inside. Got three facts about your LTD claim. Uh, courtesy of Terry, we'll get to the first one now. This one is long-term disability appeals almost never work. Terry says, unless you have dramatic new medical information, appeals fall on deaf ears and are a worthless waste of time. They are something insurers where your claim doesn't even get a fresh set of eyes until your third appeal. Count it, third appeal. Sure, uh, you'll always be offered to appeal, eh, denial or termination, but you don't bother knocking on the adjuster's door continually asking, are you sure? Are you sure? They're sure. They're sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have an awful lot to add to this. It's just something. Well, it's something <laughs> yeah. that we talk about every week. I mean, it isn't funny at the end of the day. Right. I mean, it, it's really, um, you know, set up to take something away from people who have a valid claim, and it really actually relates back to something that we that Terry actually shared with us when we were talking about. I think it was last week, and he was talking about um, how the adjusters really do have quotas, even if it's not formal. And so when you think about it in those contexts, if you have an adjuster who has terminated someone's benefits or just denied their benefits and they are you know, in good with their boss because of it, oh, look how great I am, how eager do you think they are to change their decision and to put you back on claim when they know that they're being judged by how many people they've been able to terminate benefits for? Right. It's just going to work against them. So when Terry says, unless you have you know dramatic or new medical information, yeah, that's true. But even then, <sighs> even then, I've seen many occasions where people have had really game-changing information that the insurer did not have, and they still ignored it. That is not unusual to see. There are situations where that kind of information will make a difference, but it has to be someone who has at least an open enough mind to say, okay, this is the right thing to do. Sometimes you get that, but most often you don't. You know, insurance companies, they are, again, they're in the business of making money. We've we've Mm -hmm. talked about this. They're an extremely powerful lobby. They spend a lot of money on politicians to try and pass laws that are favorable to them. They like to play by their own rules. Because if they can play by their own rules, it means that they can make more money. And, you know, people ask me sometimes, well, what do you do? Okay, you're a lawyer. Yes, you can start these legal claims. But what do you do? I mean, how is that different than the appeal process? And James and I have spoken about that. You know, the fundamental difference, which I want people to understand, is that appeals, these internal processes, that's when you are playing by their rules. Once we start the legal process they are no longer playing, we're no longer playing by their rules. Now we're playing by rules that take away the insurance company's power. Why? Because at the end of the day, if we don't come to a resolution, then it's going to end up in court before a judge. And a judge doesn't care if he's dealing with a billion-dollar company or a company that has a trillion dollars. Mm -hmm. It's irrelevant. They're going to apply the law equally. And insurance companies understand that. And as soon as you call their bluff, and as soon as we start that legal process, that's when they come to the table because at that point, they understand 
that if they don't come to a resolution, they don't actually come to the table and offer the money that they ought to have offered at the beginning to resolve the claim equitably, they're going to pay a lot more. They're going to pay that and they're going to pay their lawyer's fees, not to mention a good chunk of your lawyer's fees. So very, very important to understand these appeals, when you do those, you're playing by their rules. As soon as we get involved, we're no longer playing uh, playing by the rules. They are now playing by by different rules, rules that can make them pay. Three facts about your long-term disability claim, courtesy of our pal Terry Corcoran, who was in the insurance industry for years and years. Number two, insurance-sponsored recommended rehab programs can be a win-win for the insurer. Insurance company-sponsored rehabilitation programs approved by your doctor can be a win-win for you and the insurer. When successful, you're back to work and the insurance company has freed up that quote-unquote reserve money. However, when unsuccessful, the insurance company has gleaned an enormous amount of information they will use against you at the two-year change of definition point, which you guys have talked about. Also, the higher the reserve amount, the more likely you will be sought out as a rehab candidate. How about that? So again, we've spoken about this before, right? People contact us and say the insurance company is telling me that they would like me to attend this particular clinic or go to, for treatments with yep. this particular psychologist or doctor. And, and people are weary of that and they have every right to be concerned. Why? Why is the insurance company telling you to go see this particular doctor? Is that the only doctor that can provide those kinds of treatments? And I've seen this happen and James says as well where people are already being treated by certain individuals, right? I already have a psychologist. Why do you want me to go see your psychologist? It's a valid question to ask. And sometimes the insurance company is going to tell you that this psychologist is just better or maybe they're more experienced or whatever. And I'm not casting uh, you know, a, a wide net here. I'm not saying that the doctors and the treatment providers and rehab clinics that insurance companies tell you to go to are bad. I'm not saying that. In fact, some of them can be good. I'm just questioning why it is that the insurance companies want you to go there. And that's, I think, where Terry, you know, what Terry's getting to. He's getting to the point where these clinics and these doctors are being fed clients, such as yourself, by the insurance company. They got skin in the game, right? So if you think about it, they may have a dual loyalty here, a conflicting loyalty, not just to you as a patient, but to the insurance company. That's where I would have a concern. I don't know what they're telling the insurance company. I don't know if in three months, four months, five months, they're going to report back that you are better and can go back to work even though you're not because they want to look good to the insurance company because they want to make sure the insurance company continues to send them clients slash patients. So again, if you have the option, I would stick with people that you trust, Mm -hmm. people your doctors have recommended. I would not go to the clinics that the insurance companies are sending to, not because they're bad, because I'm suspicious of the motives of the insurance company in sending you there. I think the other thing that you always have to keep in mind, remember insurance companies are in the business to make money. That is their objective. And when they are paying benefits, they are losing money and they don't like to spend money if they can avoid it. So number one, yes, they want to cut off your benefits as soon as they can. But number two, they don't want to be paying more than they have to. And when they do, when they spend money on things outside of just paying your benefits, that should be a sign to you that they are gearing up to cut you off. And so if they're saying, we're going to send you to this clinic, whether it's the one that they want or not, if they're paying for it, if they are saying, we want you to go to to do this, it's only because they have an eye on cutting you off at some point in the future and they want to put themselves in a position to do it. So it's coming.
Three facts about your LTD claim. We'll get to number three after a short break, courtesy of our pal Terry. That is on the way. You'll want to reach out in the meantime. Keep this number, one 821 5900 Help at inyourcorner.ca. The show is right here on Global News Radio. one 821 5900 The number, help at inyourcorner.ca. Anytime you want to send an email over, we'll get to those here in a few minutes. Uh, in the meantime, three facts about your long-term disability claim. This sent over to us again this week by our pal Terry Corcoran, who spent uh, years and years... On the insurance side of things, number three, guys, LTD insurers are generally skeptical of mental uh, mental health and psychiatrist disabilities. Terry says your insurance company doesn't believe you have a psychiatric disability. Expressway traffic signs at rush hour say at best, expect delays because of the lack of quantifying metrics and the subjective nature of psychiatric disabilities. Your insurance company will almost always automatically acquire an enormous amount of background from your treating professionals and or require you to attend an evaluation from a doctor of their choosing. This can uh, include claims with only a secondary psychiatric component. You guys have mentioned this too. Sure. So it's been a few years since Terry has actively been working in the insurance industry, but I'm sad to report his information is, in fact, accurate now, too. Um, Not much has changed. And this is what we see on a day-to-day basis. People with mental health claims are denied much more frequently than those that have physical claims. That's just the way that it goes. But that doesn't mean that they don't have valid claims. In fact, the Supreme Court of Canada, the highest court in the land, has on several occasions made very clear that mental health claims are compensable. Whether it's chronic pain or whether it's a subjective mental health claim like depression, anxiety, it is compensable. They've made that clear 15 years ago. They made that clear a year or two ago Mm -hmm. in a case called Zadati. Mental health claims have to be treated the same as physical claims. It is not correct for a defendant, for an insurance company, to treat them differently, to require more. And we see this all the time. You know, we see... Uh, claims being rejected because they don't have objective medical evidence. No x-ray happening, right? And that's garbage. That's absolute hot garbage. You cannot deny a claim because there isn't objective medical evidence that is not in the policy. There's nothing in the policy that says you have to have objective medical evidence. Mental health claims are, by definition, in most cases, subjective by nature. So if you say, well, you don't have objective medical evidence, what you are saying is, if you have a subjective mental health claim, we're not paying you. That's exactly what they're trying to say. And that's what they do, and that's what they try and get away with. But the reality is, in my experience, and I think it's the same for Savon as well, too, I actually find that if you have a significant mental health issue, you actually probably have a stronger long-term disability claim. And the reason I say that is because we've talked about this several times on the show. After two years of receiving benefits, there's what is called a change of definition. So the test for receiving benefits changes from whether you can do your own occupation to whether or not you can do any occupation. And if you have a physical disability, even something significant, let's say you've become a paraplegic. Well, for many people, if you you have any physical component to your job and you become a paraplegic, you're not going to be able to do your job. And so for the first two years, you're entitled to receive benefits. You qualify. I don't think there's much dispute about that. But after two years, when the test becomes whether you can do any occupation, paraplegics can work. There are many jobs paraplegics can hold quite successfully. And so people in that situation, whether it's a paraplegic or another physical injury, are often not going to be entitled to benefits Mm -hmm. beyond the two-year mark. Now, juxtapose that with someone with a significant mental health issue. 
that carries around with you no matter what you are doing. And if it's significant enough, if it's severe enough, in many cases, you're just not going to be able to do a nine to five job five days a week. It's just not something that's going to be possible. And so mental health claims are often much stronger than the physical claims, especially after the two-year mark. And because of that, they are worth more. It makes sense. It could be more robust, whether you're pouring concrete or typing a keyboard. It doesn't matter if it's a mental health claim, right? That's right. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Makes perfect John, sense. John, the only thing that you know, I want to add is that uh, people who are suffering from mental health issues and, and that that's the source of their disability, oftentimes they're in a more vulnerable state. And mm-hmm. what I find oftentimes when I speak with them the relief that they show after our meeting is not so much that we can help them make the insurance company pay what they're owed, but that we are now taking over communications. Right. They often find that they are being either bullied or, or they're harassed being harassed degree, by the adjuster. Yeah. Exactly. And maybe yeah. that's not true. That's just the way they're perceiving it. It doesn't matter. The point is this. As soon as we take over a long-term disability claim, in other words, as soon as we get in the picture, the insurance company is no longer allowed to get in touch with you directly. They have to go through us. And that is a huge sense of relief, not only for the individual who's suffering, but also for their family, who oftentimes has to be the go-between the individual and the adjuster. So I want to stress that because some people don't actually understand that. And I've seen cases where people have contacted me People who have lawyers supposed to be dealing with the insurance company are letting the insurance company's adjuster continue dealing with their clients. That is not supposed to happen, okay? So make sure if you're in that situation, again, if you give us a call, if we get involved, we are now dealing with the insurance company, not you. To make that call, one 821 5900 Email is where we're going next after a short break. That is help at inyourcorner.ca. This is In Your, uh, in your Corner on Global News Radio. one 821 5900 would be the number. Help at inyourcorner.ca. First email of the day comes from uh, Darren. Darren says, my son had a breakdown at work last year because of uh, bullying by his superiors. He's always been predisposed to depression and anxiety, but his work situation, especially last year, really triggered something much broader. His psychiatrist sees him as an outpatient at the local hospital, and my son now lives with me. Despite this uh, insurance company, insists that it's a work-related issue only, and they've denied him long-term disability. Are they right? So, no, they're not right. Here's what you have to keep in mind. Long-term disability insurance is there to pay where you have a disability that prevents you from returning to your occupation, not your job, your occupation. And the distinction I'm making is that if you have an issue that is just with your work environment, but you could do the same occupation for a different employer, then in those circumstances, no, you wouldn't be entitled to continue or to receive long-term disability benefits. Um, but that's not really what we're talking about here. It seems as though what Darren has, what Darren or Darren's son has, is a condition that started out as being something that was caused by his work environment, but now has become generalized such that he would not be able to work, whether it's with his present employer or someone else. And if that is in fact the case, he is entitled to benefits. Having said that, in these circumstances, and remembering that insurance companies are in the business to make money. It surprises me not at all that the insurance company has said, no, he's not entitled. Mm. Because, sure, they can point to the fact that this came about because of bullying in Darren Sun's workplace. And as long as they can point to that, they at least have some semblance of a basis to make a decision to deny the benefits. It doesn't mean that they're right. And if you can prove, if your doctors can prove that this condition has now 
become generalized, it isn't specific just to that work environment, then there's a valid claim there. But it's one that you're going to have to fight to get. You're going to have to bring a legal claim. In virtually every situation, an insurance company is going to reject this kind of claim out of the gates, but that doesn't mean they're right. I have nothing to add on the LTD front. I think everything that James said is correct. There's another dimension here, though. Remember, this arose out of a workplace situation. So therefore, there is a potential employment law issue here, right? You could be dealing with a constructive dismissal. It could be such a poisonous environment uh, that the person is, you know... Unable to work. Unable to work. Exactly. In fact, I would say that the evidence is there for that because if there's medical proof, medical support from the doctors recording... Uh, contemporaneously, all the issues he had at work and how that's led him to the path that he is on now, then he actually has a dual issue case. LTD and employment. Again, the exact same things that we deal with at our firm, but it's very important to deal with them correctly and potentially at the same time because one case, the employment case, could affect what you get from the LTD insurer. We've talked about that before. So again, it's not just an LTD situations. You may be dealing with other issues with, that we have to identify and deal with. If we don't, again, you risk minimizing the compensation that you're owed. It is help at inyourcorner.ca. Bounce over to uh, Shannon's email. Shannon says, my husband was denied his long-term disability after being on it for, uh, for over a year. This happened after he saw a doctor from the insurance company. They said that his payments will end this coming June and that we can ask them to reconsider their decision if we provide more proof that he is disabled. My husband's doctors already said very clearly that he can't work because of mental health issues, but the insurance adjuster told him on the phone that he is, quote-unquote, not buying it. What should we do? So, Shannon, this is a very, very common situation, unfortunately. Insurance companies will quite frequently send uh, individuals who are on claim to be assessed by doctors, medical consultants, whoever it is. And then those individuals who are assessing patients or, or disabled individuals are going to crank out a report favorable to the insurance company. Surprise, surprise. Now, the interesting thing here is that <clears throat> they've asked uh, your husband to, rec- you know, if, 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 if he, he wants him to reconsider, to submit uh, more, more documentation that yeah. he's disabled. And, and again, what is that? That's essentially an appeal process. Okay, we've talked about that before. Do not do that. It's, it's not that difficult to challenge these assessors that are hired by insurance companies. James and I often come across them, and, and to be honest with you, many of them are actually not even doctors. Uh, they, they have other types of experience and education, but they're not medical doctors. And even the ones that are medical doctors, in many instances, are not the correct doctors. You can't get an orthopedic surgeon to comment on a psychological issue, just like you can't get a psychologist to comment on an orthopedic issue. And yet insurance adjusters routinely choose uh, incorrect specialists and practitioners to review files and assess individuals who are on disability. And even if they chose the right specialist, I mean, think about this for a second. You have somebody who's been treating you, let's say for a few years, who's saying you cannot go back to work. And on the other side, you have someone who either has seen you or perhaps not even seen you, just reviewed your file. If this case ever went before a judge, who do you think a judge would go with? Would he go with the person who's been treating you, the doctor who has your best interest at heart, or with the hired gun that the insurance company uh, retained to essentially use as a crutch to deny you a legitimate claim, right? And the insurance companies know that, but they have to seize something. They have to rely on something. They have to have some reason to deny your claim. And this is one of those common reasons we see. 
where they send you to an assessor, or sometimes they don't even send you to an assessor, they just have someone review your file, crank out a letter or an email telling you, we've had somebody look at your claim, we don't think you are disabled enough, submit more proof if you want, we're cutting you off. And by the way, in this case, he's being told, right? Shannon's husband is being told, we're gonna cut you off in June. So the payments are coming now. If they wait until June, all that's gonna happen is that in June, they're gonna fall off a cliff, the payments will stop. The fact that they contacted us now is excellent because we can get involved now. We call that anticipatory breach. Huh. The insurance company has taken a step that we say is contrary to the spirit of the contract. We can take legal uh, action right now against the insurance company, maybe, who knows, maybe resolve the claim before June. I mean, we're getting close to, to the deadline. But closer. But closer. Continuous, yeah. Our goal is to make sure that there is as little time as possible where you're getting no money coming in. That's the key. The insurance company is only interested in making money and they're interested in applying pressure on you. And one of the ways they apply pressure is knowing that you have no money coming in, therefore you have no power or no, no, no willingness to fight them. We can change that. That's my point. one 821 5900 is where it starts. The email is help at inyourcorner.ca. Jeremy just sent one over. We'll get to Jeremy's email after a short break on In Your Corner on Global News Radio. one 821 5900 is the number. Help at inyourcorner.ca is the email address. Jeremy, you're coming up. Uh, Greg, we're going to uh, toss this one over to... Uh, to you, James. Greg says, my best friend is struggling with a few severe medical conditions. He's 51 and has been a teacher for over 25 years. He was denied long-term disability and his union refuses to help him fight the insurance company. Can you get involved? Yes, we can. Uh, when we're talking about teachers in virtually all cases, their unions um, have collective bargaining agreements, as any union will do, that will define the relationship with their employer, with their board. And in that, in those cases, what you have to do is you have to take a look at the collective bargaining agreement and see whether or not you're allowed to hire a lawyer to bring the claim or whether you have to file a grievance, which you often have to do when you have a dispute under the agreement. This is all very technical. The point of this is, in most cases, if you belong to a union, in most cases, we are able to get involved and help. There are certain circumstances where we can't, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't call and find out because it's always a free call. You give us a call, you let us know what union you're involved in, and we find your collective bargaining agreement. It's about a five or 10 minute process for us at most, sometimes even less than that. And we're able to figure out whether or not we can help you. And there's no risk to you. We're not going to charge you for our time in figuring out whether or not we can get involved. Either we can or we can't. It's a free consultation either way. If for teachers, in virtually every case I've seen, we can become involved. For people in other unions, often we can, and if we can't, we'll let you know. I, I completely agree. Nothing to add. We're going to move on to uh, to Jeremy. Finally, Jeremy says, uh, my aunt was crossing an intersection last week and was hit by a car that was turning right, but the driver wasn't paying attention. He was charged. She was taken to hospital with a broken pelvis and a concussion. She's still in hospital. She's an accountant, and this is her busy season. We're concerned about her practice. She runs her own business. What should she do legally right now? Jeremy, thank you very much for, for emailing us on behalf of your aunt, and I'm really sorry for what she's gone through. You know, people forget, John, that we don't just do long-term disability and employment law work at the firm. We also help people who've been injured in, in these kinds of severe accidents. And in this case, Jeremy's aunt, I mean, holy cow, that's a catastrophic type yep. of an injury. You know, she has a, a concussion, which is, which is 
essentially a brain injury. I mean, she's still in hospital. This is a significant claim, and it's absolutely crucial to take the necessary steps immediately to start getting benefits for her. And and those benefits include accident benefits if she has her own auto insurer, or if she doesn't, then it's going to come from the insurance company of the driver who hit her or whoever owns that vehicle. Now, uh, there's also another claim here, which is called a tort claim. And again, there are a lot of lawyers out there who will wait a year, maybe even two years to start that legal claim. In a case like this, that should never happen. Again, I emphasize how important it is to start these kinds of claims for these kinds of injuries so quickly. And what is a tort claim? A tort claim is a claim against whoever was at fault for the accident, for pain and suffering, for future income losses, for medical rehabilitation expenses that are not covered by your own insurance company. There's a whole slew of damages that you need to be claiming for. And those two claims, accident benefits and tort, go hand in hand. It's extremely, extremely important to start those claims as soon as possible in a situation like this. And, you know, one of the things that, again, I, I, I want to make sure people understand, you have to make sure you choose the right lawyers and the right firm. Because if you don't, not only are you going to experience significant delays, but a potential settlement down the road, which in this kind of a case could be very complex and involve a whole bunch of experts, you know, you're not going to get the compensation you're supposed to be getting if you don't have the right team in place to advocate for you. I agree with everything Savan said. Thank There's you. one more thing I do want to add, though. Uh, Jeremy's asking about his aunt's practice. She's an accountant, a busy accountant, and given that it's tax season, he wants to know what's going to happen. So, first of all, we're not uh, we're not we're here to give legal advice, so we can't really advise what your aunt should do in terms of her practice itself. But what we can do is tell you what will happen in terms of the income that she's losing as a result of it. So Savon talked about accident benefits, and that can pay up to $400 a week, which I'm sure is a lot less than what your aunt would have expected to have earned. Now, the rest of that can come through the tort, the legal claim against the at-fault defendant. But what does that actually mean? How much is she going to be entitled to? It's not going to be limited to just what she might lose in the months you know, following this accident. If as a result of this accident, she loses clients because she's not there during tax season and they go somewhere else, and in future years, her income is significantly less because she has a smaller client base, mm-hmm. this is assuming she makes a full recovery. Even then, if she has less clients as a result, she's going to be entitled to be compensated for that loss of income on an ongoing basis. So it could be a very significant claim, even if she makes a very good recovery, which I guess we don't know at this point, and hopefully she will. You know, but this goes to the point that you need experts involved, not in, not initially, perhaps, but, you know, I've had cases, remember, John, when I used to do defense work, which I talk about sometimes, yep. I would settle claims, very, very severe claims, very, very serious claims with broken bones, brain injuries, all that kind of stuff, with some lawyers who had absolutely no clue what they were doing, and they wouldn't have... Uh, the right experts to 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 quantify the losses. So imagine if a situation like this with Jeremy's aunt, imagine if you don't have an expert, an accounting expert, who can give us the actual estimates into the future, how much he's going to lose. And it's not a simple calculation of a dollar today is a dollar in 10 years, right? right. I mean, th- there's different formulas to, to calculate this. Uh, if you don't do that, you're at a risk of the insurance company undercompensating you when it comes time to sit down with them and talk about big numbers. I'm not talking about tens of thousands of dollars. I'm talking about hundreds, if not Mm -hmm. millions of dollars. And I was in those situations, and I've seen lawyers on the other side, lawyers who are excellent and got every penny that their clients deserved, and I've seen lawyers who 
you know, literally settled for 10 cents on the dollar and their clients did not know the difference. You want to reach out? You should. Keep this number with you. one 821 5900 Email anytime is help at inyourcorner.ca and catch us on the Global TV show In Your Corner. That happens Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. We'll see you that time and next time on this show In Your Corner on Global News Radio.